Welcome to Real Dog Talk with Perfectly Imperfect Pups. Real dogs, real people with real talk. And we are continued to be brought to you by Love is Art, which is our big October fundraiser. And you should see a lot more details about that coming out soon. And as you may notice, we are on week three of uh, releasing a podcast every week, um, and we are continuing uh, in our series about behavioral euthanasia, so a trigger warning. Um, if you listen to the other ones, fantastic. Um, if you haven't, you can start here. I do encourage you to listen to all of them in the series. Each one is a unique story. Each one has a unique um, takeaway from it. Um, and so I do hope that you join us for all of these. We know it's a tough subject to listen to and talk about, but we really um, want this to be a subject that people can easily talk about because it is something that happens quite often. And we want to give you the tools to ever, if you ever have to make that decision. And we also want to give you the tools if you ever have to listen to somebody talk about potentially making that decision or if they've already made that decision and gone through with it and how you can be um, a good friend to them. So thank you for joining us and we'll just continue on this journey together. Well, I am joined with Natalie Freshour. She's a certified a certified canine trainer and behavioralist. And she's also the director of Hot Mess Pooches, which rescue, which I love that name. Natalie, thank you so much for being with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad I get a chance to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's a somber subject, but it needs to be talked about. I need, I really want to spread the word that it's not so taboo and that it's a conversation that you can have when you're having difficulties with a dog or when rescues have difficult with dogs, um, that it's a conversation that can and should be had. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> tell me a little bit about um we had talked before um they uh, before we started recording. I'd like to know a little bit about the first time that you had to behavioral euthanize a dog and then let's chat a little bit about um kind of how as a behavior specialist if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm having all of these issues with my dog." Like how do you get to the point of talking about that behavioral euthanasia? Um so if we could kind of chat about both of those, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my first BE case was over a decade ago and I've been doing rescue for, well, I've been volunteering for 22 years. I, um, have been heavily involved in rescue, um, for the last 20 years and I have run my own nonprofit for almost nine years. Um, before that I did a lot of independent rescue and worked with other rescues all over the country. Um, my first BE case was a 130 pound Great Dane, um, who unfortunately was a puppy mill dog. Um, he was purchased from a pet store as a little itty bitty baby. And even though his owners, you know, essentially knew better but they wanted to you know how people will oh I want to rescue this dog from the pet store when that's <clears throat> yes not I hear it really all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so he had all of the socialization he started off going to doggy daycare they had him in training 
um, up to date on vaccines. He was neutered. Like all in all, they were responsible people and um, they'd gone to trainers and um, he was having issues that were progressively getting worse where he would snap and like go after other dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, um, while Dalmatians are my primary breed, my secondary breed is Great Danes and I'm a sucker for a big spotted boy. Yeah. So it was a nice big Harlequin. He was about 130 pounds. Mm. And, um, you know, I, thought that I could save them all you know I could rescue and turn around any dog um so we all go into rescue thinking that yeah yeah I mean we don't go into rescue to pick up a dog and then you know have to have them put to sleep right um it's lots of time and money and tears and I sweat and this and unfortunately in this case lots of blood that went along with it as well Mm. um so um, his name was Thaddeus and he was just over a year old whenever he finally came to me. The owners decided he was too dangerous for them and I was um, his last chance, his last hope. And I thought I could turn around any dog and he came to me. I slowly integrated him with my dogs. Um, he was BFFs with my, um, my deaf and vision impaired Great Dane most of the time. Um, I lived inside a city and I would take him for walks and 95% of the time he was great. And then 5% of the time, um, it's like he would snap and lunge and try to drag me across the street or across a park. And um, from there, it was like, there was no getting through to him. Um, One day I was sitting on my couch, watching my dogs play. Um, I had lived alone at that point. And I think I had probably seven or eight dogs, um, including fosters and whatnot. And everyone got along really well. Um, and I, it was a nice day out. So I had doors open and, and whatnot. And all of a sudden, Thaddeus, like, snapped and turned and grabbed a hold of one of my Dalmatians. And at that point, all of my dogs attacked well, it didn't attack Thaddeus, but of course they were trying to stand up for his buddy. Right. And um, Thaddeus, there was pretty much nothing there. Like his eyes just blinked out. Oh. And of course I'm trying to save my dog. Right. And um, so I'm dragging this 130 pound Great Dane out my front door, which luckily I had two separate yards. I had my fenced in front yard, my fenced in backyard dragged him outside, was trying to close the door on his head and pull my dog out of his mouth and pull the other dogs off of him. And there was nothing registering with that. All he was doing was biting. And I ended up with 27 puncture wounds on my arms and legs trying to save my dog. And um, I was able to get Thaddeus to let go. Um pulled my dogs inside, put, 
or checked everyone over while of course I'm like gushing blood everywhere. Right. Um my dog, you know, there was a couple shallow punctures. Um Thad, I think, had maybe one shallow puncture and I had taken the brunt of pretty much everything that had happened. And um I put my dogs in the backyard, had friends come over. By the time they got to my gate, Thaddeus was wagging and it was like nothing had ever happened. Um, so scary when they just switch like that. Oh, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, and you know, it took me a good two weeks of creating and rotating and coming to terms with the fact that I could not safely house this dog and as a dog behavior professional um if i couldn't safely house this dog i wasn't going to be able to place him anywhere where i would feel comfortable that he was going to be safe and the other people and animals around him would be safe right and it took like i said two weeks Mm -hmm. and um And it was so difficult because, you know, like I said, 95% of the time he was great. But that small percentage when he wasn't was scary. Scary, especially for a big dog like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and it's – I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, and that's terrible. Um, And I hear it a lot, you know, going down this road of of talking about this in the podcast is I hear that a lot, like 90% of the time he was great. 95% of the time she was fabulous. It was, it's just that 5% time, that 10% time. And it's usually an unpredictable behavior Mm -hmm. that, that there's no rhyme or reason why they just snap. Yep. And that's the scariest thing. Um, I've talked to a lot of trainers over my years and that's the thing that they always, I always hear them echo is that when it's unpredictable, it's the hardest to train. Yeah. Well, you don't know when it's going to happen. You know, if you're dealing with resource guarding, you work on that specific thing. If you are dealing with fearfulness with men, you work on that specific thing, but this you know, whenever you have no idea and and it just happens, there's no way of predicting it, no way of, um, of controlling your environment. And at what point, you know, do they start to escalate and, mm-hmm. um, you know, become dangerous to their own handlers? Cause right. that has also happened. Um, yeah. so, so- as a behavioralist, um, I'm a, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you have clients have come to you um, when they're thinking about um, euthanizing over behavior, um, and when they do, kind of walk me through the steps that you uh, take with them to get to that conclusion, or help them get to that conclusion. Yeah. So. Um... You know, how I come to this conclusion with own dogs versus dogs and rescue is a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, uh, own dogs, um, I always, and with either 
own dogs or dogs and rescue, I always give options. Right. So um, I, I don't ever flat out tell someone, hey, this dog needs to be euthanized. However, I am very serious in my options. And typically those options are um, lifelong management. Mm-hmm. Um, with behavior modification, um, finding a sanctuary type situation that is able to handle this type of specific behavior, um, or humane euthanasia is my third choice. So, um, you know, as somebody in rescue, we know how difficult it is to find a reputable place for aggressive dogs to live out their lives. Um, yeah. And I try to explain that to clients as best as I can. Um, And it's one of those things where I've had people who go through the management and behavior modification and, and they do their due diligence and we still end up at the decision to humanely euthanize. And, um, you know, it, it really depends on um, what each rescue or owner is capable of providing that dog. Um, and we have to think about, you know, ourselves. We have to think about uh, the dogs or the pets that we've already made commitments to. Right. Um, we have to think about our family members. Um, so it's, it's always different for everyone, but at the end of the day, I would say the majority of the people that I talk to about human euthanasia end up going through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it may be that we have done a year of behavior modification without seeing an improvement. It may be that, um, my behavior assessment with a dog is the last bit of advice that they need to hear. So, you know, it, every situation's a little bit different and none of it is easy at all. No. And um, I think the last behavior assessment where I, I put it on the table afterwards they said that their vet had also mentioned it and a couple of other people had also mentioned it and you know leaving I just feel that heaviness because as a rescue person I do want to save as many dogs as possible but I also know that there are some dogs that just can't be saved right and those dogs are also typically not happy dogs either. And I feel like we don't have that conversation enough. Um, And, you know, people look at um, behavior as behavior and not the fact that a lot of times these dogs actually have something going on and they just can't tell us. Um, That's a great point. Um, and I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think a lot of people do think about that. They have feelings and they have, 
mental health in other ways that just like we do. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes their brain is just not coping with reality very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm a, um, I know that a lot of people have gone the medication route um, and sometimes I see results with it. And other times I think with these dogs that their brains are just not wired right for lack of better words. The medication just doesn't help with it or it will. And then they overcome, they, they move past what that medication was able to help them with. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, anytime I have a, a dog where I question, um, their neurological capabilities, those are typically the dogs where I do not see that medication has helped at all. Right. Um, and that's kind of one of my, my determining factors is, um, have we tried medication? Has it done anything to help this behavior um, or change the, any sort of behavior? Um, and I typically see that even high dosage of medication doesn't change the behavior. And then we know that there's definitely um, something going on that we can't always see. Right. And you also mentioned um, earlier management, which, you know, it's great, but there's always that option of failing. It's just hard to manage a situation 24-7. Oh, yeah. And your average pet owner doesn't go to a pet store looking for a dog that they have to manage or go to a shelter looking for a dog that they have to manage or you know, um, your average pet owner wants a dog that's going to fit into their lifestyle and not one that they're going to have to worry about slipping out the front door or, um, you know, if somebody is going to come in or if they have to walk by another dog or, you know, um, right. If they have to be muzzled to go to the vet or the groomers, things like that, your average pet owner doesn't, want a managed dog and I lived with a managed dog for 12 years and I loved her to pieces and in rescue I still have managed dogs and even as a professional it's not always easy um there are very few people that I can trust that can take care of my my managed dog yes um I know that if something were to happen to me tomorrow I have managed dogs where they would essentially have to be behaviorally euthanized because I wouldn't put that on somebody else and expect them to not fail um so you know management is an option for some people and some dogs But you also want to look at quality of life. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot give them quality of life, or if it drastically affects your quality of life, then that's not doing anything for you or for that dog. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, if, if you're living with a gate inside of every single room of your house and you have to consistently 
who's outside that gate before you can open that gate, who's on the other side of this door before you can open this door. If you're living your life that way, it's going to be tough. Even if you're committed to it, it's tough not it's tough to be that 24-7 because all it takes is one slip up and somebody's hurt, another dog is hurt, you're hurt. And I know what I've seen is that some of these dogs after that attack, after that behavior, when their mind kind of comes back down to it, the guilt a lot of times that they, you can just see it in them, the, their body language, their face, their eyes, everything, and not all, but they, it's almost like they realize what they had done and feel terrible about it. So I don't know that dogs really hang on to guilt like we do. However, they are definitely products of their environment. And I feel like whenever a dog acts that way, it's because how we treat them or how we manage them has changed. So it's whenever we hold our shoulders up and we hold our breath anytime they're around, or Mm -hmm. it's how, you know, we grab them extra fast if there's another dog around, or it's, it's that we are treating that dog differently, that we can't relax and just enjoy this dog's company because what if? Mm -hmm. So that's when I find that they, you know, they start to act how we perceive as guilty, but the react, the reality is we, um, we treat them differently and they react to that. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you chatting with me today. Um, it's a tough subject to talk about, but I think that more people need to hear it and and understand that it happens more than I think the average person knows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what I try to tell everyone who who goes through it, um, choosing humane euthanasia is a much better outcome than how things could be if um, if they let behaviors, you know, um, persist. So, you know, having a dog fall asleep in your lap is going to be much more peaceful than if something happens and they end up at a shelter alone or, you know, even worse. Right. So, um, you know, we, we would all be so lucky if we could just fall asleep around the people that love us. Um, but, but I feel like that's, you know, the, the kindest thing that we can do for a lot of dogs. Yeah. Well, on those words, which are great advice for anybody that has had to go through this or is thinking about it, I appreciate you being here today, and um, I uh, wish you well on your amazing rescue and your um, behavior and training business. Thank you so much. Thank you. So nice giving. It was so nice chatting with you, even though uh, not the best. Um, uh, the best subject. I know. I'll have to have you on here again on something fun with training and behavioral. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great.